Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Because they're not big enough for social distancing protocols. Well, just, yeah, put a, put a tent up in the stands. Nate is super smart. You know, he's always asking tough questions. He gives insightful responses. Or like uh, if, if you're a switch hitter, you have to declare a side of, of the plate for the entire game. And welcome to episode number 175 of Artificial Turf Wars, where your hosts have always practiced social distancing guidelines. I am your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined by the riveting Joshua Housem. Josh, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing better since you just called me riveting. See, I I, uh, I dipped into the adjective pile and I pulled out something that would be, you know, better than inconsolable, which... <laughs> <laughs> Which might be what you are if this season has as many positive tests as the preseason does. Um, but let us let us begin uh, by talking about many things in baseball. I will run it down. They're, the Jays are having summer camp, as everyone's talking about. Not spring training, summer camp. Sounds fun. Uh, what are the Jays' chances? And are they better because of something blowing on the wind? I don't know. Uh, they did announce the 60-man roster. Uh, they signed a very important draft pick. Uh, then we're going to get to the general baseball stuff, uh, the COVID p- tests, the people opting out due to the, uh, the COVID problem, uh, and sort of a kind of a sum up from Sean Doolittle about that, that I thought was appropriate for the situation. We have your questions and we have the commissioner of baseball who, uh, is going for some sort of career achievement in do-overs from us. But first, first we have, uh, the Jays, they're, they're warming up. Oh, and sorry, in between all that all, how could I forget Dr. Mike Sun is going to uh, give us some insight onto a new thing called uh, Pitch AI that he's uh, he's cooked up, which sounds really, really cool. Um, uh, first, first though, 
the Jays. They're warming up in the middle of summer. I, it's certainly warm enough in Toronto, isn't it? Oh my God, yes. <laughs> if you'd called me like the melting Joshua Housem or something <laughs> like that, <laughs> that would have worked. But podcast is now only 32 minutes long because that's how long Josh can leave his air conditioning off. So the fan <laughs> destroys the recording. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, yeah, it's a hot one. And the boys of summer are back and practicing, which is, which is in Toronto, which I guess shouldn't be a surprise at this point. Uh, what does that tell us about what happens after they start playing games though? I honestly don't know if there's an answer to that one because, you know, when they when they asked you know, the health officials for both Ontario and Canada, and their response was, "It's a whole different thing." So right now they 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 signed off on this situation where the Jays come in and they're in a quarantine bubble in the dome, so they'd be there for the 14 days. It's just quarantining as a group as opposed to quarantining separately. Because you know the, the the stadium and the hotel are attached, so no one needs to go anywhere. Uh, they go straight from the airport to the hotel, private plane, private buses. So you know all of that is pretty covered. There's not, they're not they shouldn't be interacting with the public at all, except for the people who clean their rooms, I guess, in the hotels because it's like it's contactless check in, you know, contactless food delivery. Like literally, they should not be talking or seeing talking to or seeing anyone who's not a player. But other teams coming in that's potentially where it become could become a problem because of the 14-day quarantine rules and, you know, obviously the way things are going in the States with COVID. Well, yeah, and then at, the, at some point, we just have to go on a road trip, right? you got to leave, and you're now out in another city in another country, and the rules, which Jays do, do not have not achieved, to my understanding, an exemption from, say that when you return, you must also quarantine again. You could do it in the bubble again, but you're quarantining for 14 days. So... Are you, you know, if you have a, a seven game homestand, are you heading back out to the airport and that's cool because you're going back to the States again, even though you might be going to a completely different city in the state Well, you will be going to a completely different city that may be under different conditions? Like, yeah. And, and, and one of the things that Dr. Teresa Tam, who's you know the head medical practitioner for Canada, one of the things that she said was like, part of it's like, what's the situation for these other teams? Like, are they allowed to go out? Are they, you know, like, cause the Jays, while they're here, are quarantined. They're not just social isolating. Like, they're quarantined. They're not allowed to see or, or talk to anyone. But I'm pretty sure under the protocols that exist, players are allowed to do that on the road. Right. To so just social distance. Yeah. So, you know, I, I could definitely see there being a serious hurdle for them to play games in Toronto. So it makes... I've, I've thought this from day one, to be honest. Buffalo is in many respects um it was supposed to be a major league comparable or ready facility when it was originally built and, and yes it's older etc etc but it seems like coming back to buffalo um puts everybody in the right time zone more or less that they should be and puts them at a facility that you can play major league baseball on with major league baseball dimensions and and decent quote-unquote clubhouses well i think the clubhouses are actually the problem Oh. Because they're not big enough for social distancing protocols. Well, just yeah, put a put a tent up in the stands because <laughs> you're not supposed to have any fans at these. Although we keep hearing that someone expects the owners to try and pull a sneaky on us and get get fans into stadium. Yeah. 
But, uh, we'll get, we'll uh, get yeah, to the I, owners I pulling it sneaky later. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I, I just say, we'll, we'll get to the owners in their perspective later. Okay, so let's just pretend for a moment that the Blue Jays are going to be allowed to have guests over and play baseball games and go away and, and play at other people's houses and come home um, and follow some sort of rules. The Blue Jays seem to think that they have um, improved their chances this season with the shortened schedule and what what is their secret weapon according to either Ross Atkins or Mark Shapiro I'm, I'm sure yeah so it was Atkins and he he was basically saying that the training that they're going to be doing over the next few weeks that is advantageous because the players can't go anywhere and they like they're just available and it's like baseball is all they are doing and he thinks that you know, all these other cities that people are in, if they're going home and they're they're doing whatever that they could be exposed to. I mean, he didn't say exposed to risk. I'm just assuming that's part of what he's talking about. But he said that not only do they think that, the players think that. that they, just like the full 100% devotion to baseball during this training camp could help them get up to speed faster than some of these other teams. It kind of throws shade at the regular spring training process. <laughs> sure being, does. It's <laughs> being effective. <laughs> I mean, I don't think there's anybody who would tell you that spring training needs to be like eight weeks or whatever it is. Uh, not not playing games for, you know, six weeks that are yeah kind of semi games and everything. It, it's definitely a slow burn spring training. I figured like I think you could do it in four if you got your pitchers in there r- running drills for an extra week and a half just to build up stamina. I just yeah, I don't know. I, I, you're right. It, 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 it certainly doesn't need to be eight weeks, except, hey, it's Florida and Arizona. Kind of fun to hang out. Oh, yeah. my goodness. So the Jays are going to train so hard that they are inherently going to be tuned up quicker than all the other teams. And that's going to be so important because it's such a short sprint here to the finish. Yeah, we actually had a question last week about advantages and disadvantages for the Jays. And I said that maybe the young hitters could be a disadvantage. But the opposite could also be true that you, if you have young guys who are likely to not be able to sustain high performance for an entire season – Short burst of talent, I mean, can play up, right? Well, yeah, there is that where, oh, you know, they didn't figure out until 30 games in that he couldn't hit the curveball. Well, yeah. that's not a month anymore, you know, in a, in a six-month season. That's half the season. Where's Juan Francisco? Get him back. Yeah. Somebody get me my Rolodex because <laughs> that's how long it's been since we've had Juan Francisco around. But I think there is there is something to be said for for – New players like not having well uh, well known weaknesses to exploit. We shall see. Yep. So we got the sixty man roster. Did the Blue Jays actually manage to squeeze sixty men onto it right off the bat? I'm, I'm looking. Uh, they went to fifty eight, and then they added four, but took four people off that went on the injured list. But the only way you're allowed to take people off and put them on uh, with the injured list is if they're on the COVID injured list. So. The belief is that a few of the players tested positive, and therefore that's where they went. But yeah, there's still like 58 people. So we did get uh, Alex Manoa on there. Uh, Woods Richardson is on there. Kevin Smith's on there. Nate Pearson's on there. Uh, Petrichka's on there. Anybody else on there who's a shocker on the taxi squad? I don't know about shockers, but I mean, all their top prospects are there. So like Alejandro Kirk, as you mentioned, Alec Manoa, like the Simeon Richardson, Jordan Groshans, you know, they brought, you know, they don't want these guys missing the year. I mean, it's like to say all of their ones that are old enough because they have some top prospects who are like 17. But uh, yeah, so 
the guys that for whom the the year of development is particularly important because they're close enough, they're all there. They're all going to be playing inter-squad games for a couple months. So they want them to be doing something in terms of development rather than, you know, putting their feet up. Uh, I assume these guys get paid by being on the taxi squad. I assume that also. I don't know for sure, but they probably get their $400 a, a month or whatever it is the minor leagues are getting right now. Yeah, we that whole minor league thing is just... That's a whole podcast of um, unfortunateness. Yeah, uh, and obviously the guys on the 40-man, like Anthony Kay, who's still a prospect technically, even if he's not, even if he's not on the 30-man big league roster to start, he'll still get much more money. Indeed. Uh Anything else you wanted to talk about with that 60-man roster? No, actually. I, I, I was expecting some kind of thing that I'd be like, hey, maybe there's someone here who was left off or wasn't. But I mean, literally everyone who I thought was going to be put on <laughs> was put on. They, just, uh, they bet yeah. straight straight line. <laughs> it's just, no. And then, and then, so like, I guess one thing is, <laughs> Bravik Valera's back. <laughs> I uh, I'm not sure you ever decided he was a real person or not. I still haven't decided if he's a real person <laughs> or not. But the name is back on the 40 man roster. They claimed him off waivers again. What what fun it is to ride around the waiver train. Uh, the Blue Jays did spend some money elsewhere. We just don't know how much yet because their number one draft pick in their abysmal season, Austin Martin, not to be confused with Austin Matthews or Aston Martin, has been signed pending a physical is what we've been told which we're recording on a sunday so no physical on a sunday yeah so there was a lot of <laughs> i don't know hand wringing i guess because of the fact that he's a boras client and that you know it's been two weeks or whatever it has three weeks and he hasn't signed yet he was the fifth overall pick he was always gonna sign <laughs> We're talking about like $7 million or so. So there was never actually really a risk that Austin, I, I, well, I almost called him Aston Martin. Austin Martin <laughs> <laughs> wasn't going to sign. It was just a matter of they just had to work out the dollars and get the right thing. And yeah, so it's good that he signed. And I expect that he's going to take up one of the two remaining spots on that, uh, on that 60 man because they're going to want him in there. He's so close to being big league ready. I mean, everything you've heard out of the draft is that he may be like the Jays probably should have sent him straight to New Hampshire. So they definitely should have him on their 60 man roster. Well, they've left a little bit of room, like you said. So I'm sure we'll find out in the next, uh, next week or so if, if he slots in where he should be slotting in. And, and obviously you want that first round draft pick to get development. You know, you do not want that $7 million investment being idle. And especially because normally they've played a full college season. If he's at Vanderbilt, he would have been playing through to the probably the College World Series because Vanderbilt's awesome. And then it's like, okay, you know, he can shut him down. He played like 15 games before COVID. So he's got lots of room to go this season. All right. Well, you, you said the magic word. I did. Yeah, which means I move on to our next point, which is, uh, you know, I think, I think maybe I would have had a lot of optimism for this season had we come out of the gate after – however long that things have been shut down for with um, a, a fairly clean, maybe two or three positive tests to people arriving at camp and then turn around and send them home. But we, we've, we've popped a lot more than two or three positive tests at this point. We are sitting at 31 players who tested positive that we know about and seven coaches. 
seems 31, like a, I mean, 31 is like, I think it was like 1.8%, which fits with the general population. I mean, it's a little higher rate because everyone's getting tested as opposed to just people with some kind of thought that they might have it going to get tested. But we always knew there were going to be positive tests. Like that, that was that was never really in question. The people coming from whatever the hell they've been doing for the last four months, there were going to be some of them who had it. Fair, fair. I, I think, um, I mean, we, we say positive tests. We aren't talking about those someone who's had it and has recovered from it. No, it's, yeah, the people who test positive for having it now. Yeah. So I think I think if you were doing antibody tests and you said, okay, well, in the population, X number of people have had it over this, you know, whether it was minor or not. I, I would sort of be more inclined to think that that was an insignificant number, but but that's thirty one people. That's one percent, one point eight percent of the the population that has it right now. That's not yeah. a great stretch to have one of those people become. You really only need one super spreader in this mix, and <laughs> everything goes so, badly up. Yeah. So the idea here was that these people were all tested before. Joining their teammates. Yes. So if they test positive, they don't go into the group. And that effectively, the idea would be then that would kill the virus before it even got there. And therefore, as long as those people still isolate, nobody else would get it. Now, that's obviously extremely optimistic. (laughs) And especially because like, for example, Freddie Freeman, who is tested positive for the Braves, initially tested negative. And then two days later, he tested positive. Yeah. So, and had symptoms. Like this isn't just he had a yeah. retest of some kind. No, he he had symptoms and therefore tested positive. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I think what's like the next few weeks are really going to be important to see whether this thing has any chance of happening, because if I, like the, the only thing that's going to cancel the major league season is if there's community spread within the clubs. Mm-hmm. And. That hasn't happened yet because the players were not within the community. They were within other communities. So if it starts rampaging through clubhouses, it's over. And I think that these camps where people are – these teams are all isolated together will will probably have some idea if something like that's happening over the next couple weeks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's it's absolutely the right move to group people up, you know, isolated as teams first for a period of time like this is absolutely necessary you couldn't just go okay we're going to start playing inter squad like inter-team games to warm everybody up that'd be crazy at this point so i respect that this is this is the the plan that you have um but yeah it really remains to be seen how far you get into the plan before you find a uh a wrench in said plan and i mean yeah. I, I would love to see baseball go 60 full games i would love to see it but yep. it just I have not turned the corner on being optimistic about that yet. Um, and neither have eight of the players who have opted out of the season for various personal reasons. Yeah. Uh, so as of this is as of Saturday or Sunday, technically we're recording Sunday. I don't think anyone opted out today. But uh, so Felix Hernandez is the latest one, but he was joined by David Price, Ian Desmond, Joe Ross and Joe Ross and Tyson Ross, who are brothers, Mike Leake, Ryan Zimmerman and Wellington Castillo. So. I mean, Ryan Zimmerman, he was. this might be his last year in baseball. Mike Leake, actually, same thing applies to Felix Hernandez. Mike Leake is a pending free agent. So there's a lot of people saying, like, even though it, like, it's really against my interest not to play, I just ain't playing. Yeah. 
And and in the I haven't opted out yet group is of course the biggest name in baseball, Mike Trout, who is literally wearing a mask running the bases at this point. Um, I think that's probably not the worst idea. Just to know if you can do that, like, can, do you feel like? Like, if that makes you feel safe, if you feel that that's safer, can you perform and do all the things you need to do on a baseball field while you're wearing a mask? Now would be a way better time to find out than than down the road. Yeah, I mean, if they could do that, that's going to be really important. Because theoretically, you should be able to do it. I mean, it's not like you need your mouth. I mean, I guess, you know, like, there are things that require shouting. But yawning. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. Did not mean to yawn in the microphone. Um, <clears throat> very, very professional, but good thing we're not actually professionals. So, but yeah, so if they can do this, that would be very interesting. Yeah. And I, I think there's good evidence that um, you, you could worry a little bit less about that social distancing on the field. I know they're outside, but you know, two guys jostling around at second base, um, you know, tagging or, you know, sliding in and everything else. These are not clean interactions by any stretch of the imagination. But no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if, if, you know, after doing whatever he needs to do in terms of thinking and reading and, and, and considering his options that Mike Trout opts out because I just personally, let's say hypothetically a player gets COVID and has long-term symptoms these are these are athletes yes at the peak of their career but but a guy whose lung capacity is diminished by 10 percent and his job is to run down baseballs in the outfield i feel like you know that could could very much take a guy from top tier athlete to kind of journeyman if if something is permanent or if his or if he's fatigued all the time maybe a guy can't play 150 games anymore maybe he yeah, but literally... I mean, trust isn't even about himself though it's because his wife is pregnant and this all, any of these things, selfish or selfless, there's just this, man, it's a mistake you can't take back to get infected. It yeah, would scare the so, crap out of me. <laughs> well, I really think that this, that's what I'm saying, going back to it, like this summer camp, if we start seeing tests positive left and right, the season's over. Yeah. Agree 100%. So... Another guy I like to agree with is Sean Doolittle, who is uh, a very thoughtful player. And he has a he was asked about w- the return of baseball. Um, and, and here is his rather long quote, which I, I am going to read the entirety of, because I, I, I think that um, in his own words, uh, says a lot. Uh, he says, I do think uh, it like brings to mind kind of where we're at in our response to this as a country. Like we're trying to bring baseball back during a pandemic that's killed 130,000 people. We're way worse off as a country than we were in March when we shut this thing down. And, like, look at where other developed countries are in their response to this. We haven't done any of the things that other countries have done to bring sports back. Sports are like the reward of a functioning society. And we're trying to just bring it back, even though we've taken none of the steps to flatten the curve, whatever you want to say. We did flatten the curve a little bit, but we didn't use that time to do anything productive. We just opened back up for Memorial Day. We decided we're done with it. Like, if there aren't sports, it's going to be because people are not wearing masks because the response has been so politicized. We need help from the general public. If they want to watch baseball, please wear a mask, social distance, keep washing your hands. We can't just have virus fatigue and keep thinking, well, it's been four months, we're over it, this has been enough time, right? We've waited long enough. Shouldn't sports come back now? No, there are just things we have to do in order to bring this stuff back, and now you want to bring fans back? Is that safe? 
I don't know. I'm not a public health expert, but we should probably defer to them on some of these issues. So I don't know if it's safe or not. I really don't know. But that doesn't seem like something that I don't know if that feels like a good idea or not. I don't know. He's tore up about whether we even deserve to have baseball back. And I think that is an interesting sentiment in and of itself. Yeah. I mean, it's a very real thing. <laughs> the idea that they should not be playing. And, you know, when to hear one of the players say that, it shows that there's a lot of serious worry among the, among them about what's going on and whether it should be going on at all. And also, though, there's a, there's a very clear sentiment here, though, like telling people, wear a fucking mask. It's, like, <laughs> it's yeah. like if you want sports to return, if you want life to come back to normal, do your part. Well, and I, someone in the responses to him boil it down into the one sentence. Sports are like the reward of a functioning society. They're, they are a privilege that we earn as a distraction for everything going pretty well. And we're not there. Especially in America. We're not at the point where everything's going pretty well and we can afford to be distracted. Yeah. So until that gets earned back, I think we're going to be on, on pins and needles. For this whole thing, which is where I think we deserve to be if if um, the pandemic is not under control with that in quotation marks, because I still don't know 100 percent what that means. Are you ready yeah. to shift gears? <laughs> Pretty dramatically, I am going to pop the clutch on our entire podcast because we're going to go to something a lot more uh, fun, interesting and nerdy. We're going to go to Dr. Mike Sun. And he is going to talk about a new project that he is working on that is going to bring uh, pitching mechanic analysis to a much, much wider pool of people who uh, who might need it and want it and be able to use it uh, in order to, to improve both their careers and, you know, potentially their, their physical health. And we're going to come back with him. He's going to tell us all about it right after this. And we would like to welcome back, as always, to Artificial Turf Wars, Dr. Mike Sun, Chief Scientist for Pro Play AI. And that's the first time I've had an opportunity to introduce you as such. Uh, welcome back, Dr. Sun. It's, uh, it's been a while, but it's, uh, it's always great to be back and, uh, and great to hear both of your voices. Everything, you. Yeah, everything has been a while, it seems, in baseball. So. <laughs> that, that, is the, uh, that is the absolute truth. You're just you're just following the trend, as it were. Um, uh, but uh, the 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 trend that you're you know hopefully on the leading edge of here is is something um, uh, this this new venture that you've set out on called Pro Play AI, and and specifically we want to talk about something called Pitch AI today. In a nutshell, uh, what have you been working on? So we've been working on uh, delivering motion capture, uh, starting primarily with pitching. Um, we'll get into some other movements in the future, like hitting and then get into fast pitch and golf and all those things. But what we're starting with is a markerless motion capture system using just your cell phone that can break down your pitching biomechanics. Uh, and we kind of started with this back in, um, I'd say the middle of last year, uh, kind of had our first, uh, public unveiling of it in uh in december at the winter meetings um down in san diego 
and then a kind of second tease of it when we uh, were able to go to Phoenix right before everything started getting interesting um, in uh, the beginning of March. Uh, and then it's been a, a lot of scientific study and, and testing and, and bringing a team together. And, uh, you know, we're, we're getting pretty close to launch. Uh, we expect that the, the product will be available uh, end of July, uh, beginning of August. So what led to the idea of trying to create the mobile version of this? I mean, obviously, you've seen, you know, people with mocap suits on and, you know, and the results of that. What, what made you think that, hey, maybe we can do this with a cell phone? Yeah, I mean, this, you know, you guys, we've, we've talked for a long time and, you know, we, we talked about the stuff metric and we've talked about fatigue units and, um, you know, the reason I kind of got into uh, baseball and, and pitching science, if you will, was all started with the pitch clocks, right? And, um, and using my ergonomics based model to say, hey, if, if we have a pitch clock implemented, uh, chances are we're going to see more fatigue in pitchers. And that kind of started me down the road of saying, you know, what can we use from the ergonomic space uh, in the baseball space to try and better understand how pitchers perform and, and how they possibly get hurt? So uh, the other company that I, I currently work with is My Abilities, and we've developed some technology there where we use markerless motion capture uh, to try and understand, you know, risk of injury and, and performance in your general working life. So assembly lines, uh, you know, warehousing, you know, even right down to your, to your office. So one day we kind of were experimenting with that technology. And I think it was like at a men's league game or something, you know, film somebody throwing and said, Hey, you know, I think we might be able to, to, to use some of this. Um, I'm, I'm sure, you know, Josh, particularly we've had articles um, with uh, Richard Burfer, who's, who's now with the Texas Rangers uh, and his P or his, sorry, his master's thesis was all on, assessing the mechanics of pitchers and coming up with ways to, you know, objectively quantify pitching mechanics, uh, not with any cameras. And what we found was, you know, people were pretty, pretty inaccurate when it came to <laughs> um, doing some of these analyses. They were very reliable. You know, the coaches and the scouts always got the same answers every single time, but they were often off in magnitude. And part of that's just, you know, it's difficult. It's such a fast movement um, that uh, it, it can be difficult to, you know, do that, that type of analysis. Um, but in the, the course of that, one of the challenges with, with motion capture is many times we have somebody throw in the lab that, you know, in game situations, they're throwing 92, 93, we get them in the lab and they're, they're low eighties. Um, and you know, the lab you're throwing in your underwear, um, it's cold in there because you, if you sweat too much, the markers will fall off. Um, you know, you've got wires hanging off of you for doing electromyography. Um, so we said, you know, we might not be able to get as accurate as if we had all those markers on, but we might get a more accurate depiction of, you know, how pitchers actually perform. And, you know, it kind of all came together from a few different sides, but we said, you know, I think we can do at least a reasonable job, um, with a single camera from a cell phone. And, you know, our initial findings are, uh, it might be a little bit better than, you know, reasonable. So what I am curious about is that single camera with a cell phone. Um, obviously, you were going to have a recommendation of a, of a particular angle to try and work from or, a, you know, a way to frame up the subject. But <laughs> pardon me. Um, it seems like a great leap from all of those markers and all the stuff that we learned about movie motion capture 
to simply say, hey, give this a shot and it's going to be close enough. Like, wh who was using that, that non-marker motion capture technology before you were? Where does that come from? Um, so it's kind of with you know, recent advances in computer technology and the ease of use of, of uh, computing, like with GPUs and, and clouds and, and all those things, um, you know, computing power is not as hard to come, come across as it once was maybe even, you know, five years ago. Uh, and there's been a proliferation in that space of different technologies that have been, you know, doing pose estimation. So a lot of this started with like a depth camera in like the, the Kinect system that came out for Xbox. Um, that was one of like the first forays we tried with, with markerless uh, motion capture, uh, particularly with pitching. But really what, you know, we've seen things like that um, in iOS 14, there's going to be some motion capture that's already going to be like on board um, the iPhones. Um, and then a company that we're partnered with is called Wrench out of Montreal. And, you know, that's all they do. They just try and find where there's human beings in images and videos, and they tell you how that person is moving. And we kind of partnered with them to, to get some of that initial technology and then, you know, built a lot of our technology kind of off of their initial captures um, to, you know, make it specific to pitching and make sure that it's very accurate. That's really cool. <laughs> um, so you get to this point, you're obviously you get your product, which, I've, you know, you and I have talked about it off, offline quite a few times, but you get to the point where you know that this thing works. How does someone like Nate Pearson get involved with the company? So, um, this all kind of stems back from actually with the winter meetings. Um, so Casey Mulholland, uh, who's kind of the head honcho at Kinetic Pro in uh, Tampa, Florida. Casey's been working with Nate for a couple of years now. Um, and Casey's been, you know, one of the top guys in, in the, in the world on, on pitcher workload uh, prescription and assessment. So we kind of started talking around fatigue units and then I was you know, telling him, about what we're trying to do with pitch AI. And Casey said, okay, you know, this is going to be really helpful. Um, but to go to the market, you know, you're going to need to, you know, talk to somebody who kind of knows that space to knows what it's like to be an athlete there. And I started, you know, asking Casey, you know, do you have anybody who's young and up and coming, um, who is not afraid of technology and, you know, gives really, really, in-depth and insightful answers on, uh, you know, their prescription of, of whatever they're doing from a throwing program to a strength training program, all of those things. And, you know, right away, Casey said, well, Nate, you know, Nate is super smart. You know, he's always asking tough questions. He gives insightful responses. And, uh, you know, Casey put uh, myself in touch with Nate and, you know, we kind of said, you know, we really want to get your perspective on this and, and have you help us design, you know, what optimally is going to be very useful for the, the athlete, for the pitcher. And Nate's been really, really instrumental in, in that. So it's been a it's been a great relationship. And uh, it, it's too bad because, you know, he's going to be up in Canada finally. But uh, chances of us actually meeting face to face uh, <laughs> are probably pretty limited this year. Yeah, the, the world has kind of put a lot of plans, kind of just throwing them in the... <laughs> The blender? I don't know. <laughs> I was yeah, thinking more yeah, of a different absolutely. different appliance in the watch room, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then gets plunged a few times. Yeah. <laughs> so 
obviously, you know, you've got Pearson involved. You've got multiple people now. I mean, you you have a pretty large team now going with this company, with this product. What is the next thing? Like, what, you know, once you launch, what is the, what is the plan? Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of what we're doing right now is really catered to how do we get as much data as possible. Um, you know, it, the way that the app is going to work is we're going to make it very, very easy for you to compare yourself against somebody else or to compare yourself against yourself from another time period, something like that. But we're trying to make it just so that it's really, really easy for you to get data on how you move. And then once we you know, are able to, to do that, uh, where it starts to get exciting is that this used to be something that took quite a bit of time, get people in a lab, um, get them marked up, you know, get them to throw. Who knows if it was actually throwing like they were throwing in a game. We're going to have such a huge data set that we'll be able to learn a lot about how pitchers move and how pitchers move to be successful and how pitchers move within game to identify if they're getting fatigued. Um, just the sheer usability and the access to these data and the access to capturing these data, you know, that's really going to kind of launch us into the next step, which is, you know, prescription of, of uh, exercises. It's implementing coaching. It's, you know, connecting remotely. You know, one of our, our initial launch partners is, is Driveline, and people used to have to save up their money and get out to Washington so they could get a mocap experience and, you know, work with Driveline. You know, now they can do all of that remotely. So working with places like Driveline, working with places like Kinetic Pro, um, that I think is, is kind of the next step in, you know, helping them deliver online programs, you know, helping places like, you know, the baseball development group here in Toronto, uh, BDG, helping them do objective assessments of athlete mechanics. I think as we start getting this into coaches' hands, we're going to learn a lot more about how people move and how the drills they're given uh, change how they move and either get them better or, you know, maybe aren't actually accomplishing what we initially thought. So, I mean, yeah. the long, long-term long goal here is to pitch safer and pitch healthier. Now, sorry, I suppose long-term goal is a lot broader than pitching, but the goal here for, for this part of the program is, is for everybody who's pitching to pitch safer and pitch healthier. Yep, it's to pitch safer and, you know, at the, the best you can perform, right? It's It's trying to find that optimal point between peak performance, peak velocity, and and uh, safe and, and healthy mechanics. You know, I, I'm sure you guys have, you know, heard lots of people on Twitter claiming that they know exactly what perfect mechanics are. Mm-hmm. The reality is perfect mechanics are going to be different for almost every single pitcher. There's going to be things that you can do to help somebody gain velocity or stay healthy, um, but it's not as cut and dry as saying, hey, let's look at foot strike and say, these are the perfect positions you need to be in and you will never get hurt. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so we're, we're really excited about this I mean, we can't wait till it's ready to go. And, and, uh, so we were talking about this off air. Mike has promised me that once I film myself, he will compare me to Nate Pearson to show how perfect my mechanics are that led to my torn shoulder. <laughs> yeah. I think, um, I think if we find out your mechanics are the exact same as Nate's, the, Nate, the cell. Nate, Nate's going <laughs> to, Nate's going to, Nate's going to get some long, hard looks from the, the, the high performance group there about uh, how he's been how he's been working. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Well, so, yeah, we are going to try and get you back on to, to break down those results in, in the kind of <laughs> language that um, that you have uh, developed for Pitch AI. But uh, I hope there are no four-letter words from, from either you or Josh when we find out just just how he tore his shoulder open or, or maybe, um, maybe, just maybe, something he could adjust to not hurt so much when he still gets out on there on the mound <laughs> takes, takes a few uh, wind-ups. Uh, thank you very much for coming on. It sounds like an exciting project. It sounds like everybody wins if this works and, uh, and you can get into the hands of lots of people. Yeah, we're, we're really, really excited about it. And, uh, you know, we should be rolling out the hitting side of things before the end of the year as well. So, uh, maybe if somebody has got some good slow motion video of the bat flip, we can, we can process that and, <laughs> and see exactly how we replicate that in the future. <laughs> So it's a pro play AI. Do you have a website right now that people can go to if they're interested parties? Uh, yep. Uh, pro play um, You know, we've got some sample videos up there. Um, we've also got some, some uh, blog posts about the accuracy of the system and some use cases of the system. So if you want to scratch that nerdy itch and, and get into some data, uh, we've got that available for people on there. Or if, God forbid you're actually a pitcher listening to this, and we pity you. Um, you, you can pop on over there as well. Thanks again for do- joining us, Dr. Sun, and uh, we'll talk to you uh, hopefully in a couple weeks. Awesome. Talk to you soon. Take care. And we are back. That was, that was pretty cool, I just got to say. Um, that sounds like something that would change a lot of careers if it works out. And I'll say this here. I, I, I coach at Seneca College. I'm a pitching coach there. I've already told our athletic director that we're getting this product. <laughs> <laughs> like When this launches, we're getting it once baseball starts up again. We're, we're already signed up, boss. Sorry. Um, yeah. That's always, yeah. Ask for forgiveness later. Not permission now. We have yeah. questions from our esteemed listeners, and I will launch into them with this. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? We're going to start with Dave Church, I think. Um, Dave asks, are Reese McGuire jokes still in good taste? Were they ever? Or, do, or have they run their course by now? So this that, is because today he it came down like he got fined four hundred fifty dollars. The case was finally dealt with, and it's Everyone surprising did, it it only took seven thousand years for that to um to come to to pass the 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 court thing because that is when that happened right seven thousand years ago. Yeah, um, <laughs> sort of feels like that. But uh, yeah, so like obviously the the court stuff was delayed because of COVID, but uh, they were funny at first. So <laughs> Whether they were in good taste, I don't know. Uh, I think run their course is fair, though. I think at this yeah. point, uh, we're going to have to come up with some new new things to make fun of people for. But don't worry, Mom. But uh, Rob Manfred isn't going anywhere, guys. So we're we're gonna we're gonna get started with him again. Uh, Sean Addis, uh, besides Pearson, which top minor league player has a chance to make the ML debut this year? Uh, so I'm going to just limit this to people who. Are not, have not already. Oh, he said MLB, MLB debut. So I'm on, yeah. don't even just say Anthony K. Um, I think Patrick Murphy's got a good shot to pitch out of the bullpen. Oh, I, I think there's guys like like guys like he's got a big arm, got a big curveball. 
And with the season like this, they're going to need more arms throughout the year. I, I definitely could see him being the first one that could come up. I mean, there's other guys too that are like Travis Bergen could make it or, you know, some stuff like that. But, uh, it, you know, Thomas Hatch could make an appearance, but in terms of actual, like, in my opinion, like good prospects, I think it's Murphy. All right. Hit me with the next one. All right. So this one comes in from Matt Sweeby at Blue Jay Matt. Nearly everyone in the long-term core position player group is a right-handed hitter. Is this a problem? What could Atkins do about it? Atkins could trade for a lefty. <laughs> but more to the point, the Blue Jays always seem to have like a dearth of left-handed hitters. And I don't understand it because they play in a symmetrical park and they play tons of games in you know, over the course of the year, relatively speaking to me, in parks that favor left-handed hitters, Boston and New York. And they never seem to have lefties. So... I don't understand it. It drives me nuts. It's driven me nuts. I, I've always liked to see at least switch hitters in the Blue Jays lineup, so there's some chance of taking advantage of that. Uh, but seemed to work out fine in 2015 and 2016 with Bautista, Donaldson, and Encarnacion. So I think maybe uh, you need to worry about the talent of the hitters, not necessarily the handedness of them. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, obviously, yes, it'd be nice to have some more variety. Kevin Biggio is the only one really. I mean, Reese McGuire, depending on what he could be, is also a left-handed batter. But even if you like go down their prospect list, they're pretty much all right-handed batters. <laughs> so I don't know. It's a goofy thing. I don't, I don't really think it matters, but yeah, it would be nice, but they can always sign for or trade for. I mean, they've got Rowdy Tellez up there. Now they've got Travis Shaw who hits left-handed Derek Fisher. You know, if he just, actually figure something out hits left handed so i mean they're trying to get these guys it's just some of them have worked out exactly um do we have one more or two more uh there are well there's two more there's brian's question and then there's al's question all right we'll hit brian real quick who on the current roster would you and this is always for josh consider to be the next russ adams well, Logan Warmoth is probably the real one because he was the first round pick out of sh- shortstop out of the university of north carolina <laughs> 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 same school, same position, not very good. Never going to make the big leagues most likely. But Russ Adams did make it, so mm. Bravik Valera. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for a guy you aren't sure exists, I bet you you said his name more than most of the prospects that you know exist. Yep, probably. Our final question is from L at Ellie Yellyheart, who has asked the most insightful question we've had in months. You're the new MLB commissioner. You, Josh. Or possibly me. Uh, on you your first, first day, you find out there's a secret condition to being commissioner that you have to propose the most aggravating yet plausible rule changes possible. What's your first new rule for the season? Oh, man. Man, that is that is so tough to come up with something annoying yet legitimate. I feel like I feel like you have to have an advertisement on your uniform like you're everyone has that to almost have happened but but yeah that uh, see I'm, I'm thinking like a commissioner you have to have one because everybody has to have an equal amount of advertising and it wouldn't be fair to not have advertising so everybody has to have have the same amount of advertising in the same spot all the time like just like a logo just see how crazy that drives people i think it would be something like 
you're not allowed to go to the bullpen except for an injury until after the fourth inning. Mm-hmm. Like something dumb, one of these rule changes that Manfred puts in where it's like, it's you know, it's not actually going to slow speed up games because the pitchers are going to get shelled. I feel like, something like that. Or like uh, if, if you're a switch hitter, you have to declare a side of, <laughs> of the plate for the entire game. You can't go from one at bat to the next. What about you can use pine tar, but there's specific temperature and humidity requirements. And if they change during a game, you have to like wipe all the pine tar off. And That would only be aggravating to the players, though. <laughs> it wouldn't be annoying to anybody else. <laughs> but if, if it hit a certain temperature in the middle of an inning, the guy would have to go change gloves. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Rob Manfred's probably going to be a mile ahead of us, though. Really, when it comes down yeah, to we can't. We just can't compete because we no. actually like baseball. Ah, that's the problem. That's the problem. Because uh, as close as we can get to the Man- Rob Manfred hates baseball stinger is when we hand out a do-over to him, uh, we always give him this particular intro. Oops, I said the quiet part loud and the loud part quiet. <laughs> but what if you could do it all over again? But what I really meant was... Literally, Krusty the Clown runs our league. Uh, tell us all about it, Josh. <laughs> yeah, so he said the quiet part loud like he, he was he was doing an interview um it was on uh fox sports radio I was talking to dan patrick this was uh, last wednesday and he said quote the reality is we weren't going to play more than 60 games no matter how the negotiations with the players went unquote <laughs> okay does the do the words in good faith mean anything to you <laughs> well, to me they do, but obviously not to Rob Manfred. So the whole thing, we talked about this grievance last podcast, how the players didn't want to waive their right to grieve. And it was because of this. They like the language in the March deal was that the the uh the owners had to make their best efforts to play as many games as possible. And now he's saying that the reality is they weren't gonna play more than sixty games, even though at one point they offered an eighty two game schedule. With a poison pill in it. Yeah. So he's admitting that their negotiating tactic was to offer up something that they knew would never be accepted and not budge on the term that was the tripping point in order to keep the schedule to 60 games. Yeah, he's straight up admitting, as you said, that they negotiated in bad faith. Good job, Rob. This <laughs> is unreal. Because that's he tried that. To, he tried. Wait. What's that? I've discovered it. That's his nickname. Good job, Rob. <laughs> very ironic it's like when you call big guys tiny um yeah good job Rob. so he tried to walk this back though oh yeah of course he said quote my point was that no matter what happened with the union the way things unfolded with the second spike we would have ended up with the only time for 60 games anyway as time went on it became clearer and clearer that the course of the virus is going to dictate how many games we would play if we had started an 82 game season beginning july 1st july 1st we would have had people in Arizona and Florida at the time the second spike hit. So he's trying to say, it's like, oh, in retrospect, we only would have had 60 games. But that's only because he clearly spoke in a way he should not have. So his his crystal ball managed to figure out, retro, like, or his 2020 hindsight realized that it wouldn't have been a 70-game schedule or a 64-game schedule or anything else. That it would have ended up 60 games no matter what. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the do-over. Uh, the do-over is Rob Manfred must himself suit up and play 60 games 
in a in a major league uniform and allow all the pitchers to throw to him or at him if they if they so choose. And then we, we, <laughs> I think it would be mostly the latter. Um, and then we won't I, speak of this again. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, I think we're rolling up to that that part where I uh, I turn to you and ask you if you have a final thought. I do. So one of the players who was not part of the Blue Jays' 60-man group was Philippe Aumont. Um People may remember that the Blue Jays signed him to a minor league deal before the season, and he was there in spring training, and he was trying – he'd been pitching in independent leagues, and he was trying to make it back to the bigs, and he, he retired. He's done. He's going to – he opened up a farm actually – um, I just wanted to mention it because he still has provided one of the coolest things I've ever seen in a baseball field or at a baseball game when Canada against the USA in the World Baseball Classic when he, when he had bases loaded, nobody out. And then he got David Wright to hit a soft liner, then struck out Kevin Euclid and Curtis Granderson. When he was still – when Oman was still an A-ball, he struck out three all-stars – or he got three all-stars with a base loaded, nobody out to keep the game close – and the crowd was just on fire. It was the loudest I've ever heard the dome. So thanks for the memories, Philippe, and good luck with everything going forward. That's very cool. I, I cannot top that. So I'm I'm just going to leave with the very simple thought that this is going to get weirder before it gets more normal. So, uh, yeah, we're probably going to come back in a week, and we're going to tell you some other things about stuff that ne- we never expected to happen happening in the world of baseball. So hang tight. Um, and... It would be uh, fair for me to say that I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead 2010, and you have been Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem, and our guest was Dr. Mike Sun at Dr. Mike Sun on Twitter. And this has been Artificial Turf Wars episode number 175, and we'll talk at you soon. Mm-hmm.